Hello, everyone. It's the Creative Writing Life podcast, and today we have a special guest. His name is Attila Karosi. He is from Yugoslavia, and he's a filmmaker with some cool credits on IMDb, and I'm sure he's going to be able to tell us all about that. How's it going, Attila? Hey, guys. I'm pretty well. How are you guys today? Great, great. Doing well. And uh, we do a little intro usually. So I'm Justin Sloan, and I'm an author. Uh, if you haven't heard of me yet, uh, you can find my books on Amazon. And we have with me today... Uh, hi, everybody. It's Paul Zeidman here. I'm a screenwriter and a blogger. You can uh, check out my blogging writing, uh, MaximumZ.blog. Yeah, and uh, we didn't tell you, Attila, but we always do a little, what are we watching or what are we reading um, so if you have anything, uh, start thinking about it. I'll go first. I have been reading, uh, in audiobook form, the, uh, different seasons by Stephen King, which includes Shawshank Redemption, which, uh, as everybody knows, the movie is amazing. It's fun to listen to the audiobook of that because it's a short story in a sense. And it's, uh, quite interesting to think how they adapted that to the screen because it's basically just the Morgan Freeman character who's actually a redheaded Irish guy, I guess. Uh, in the story, telling, you know, as he does in the movie. But it, in this case, it's just all him just telling the whole thing and a lot less of it, of course. And it's all in like, and this happened, and I think this happened. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely one worth checking out and then going to watch the movie and trying to think how the screenwriter might have adapted that. Uh, how about you, Paul? Anything going on? Uh, I watched, uh, I remember seeing the trailer for this so when it originally came out. I thought, that looks really great. And then it was released and it just disappeared. Uh, it's a film called Welcome to Marwin, uh, which a, oh, yeah. a Robert Ze- Robert Zemeckis uh, directed it, and it's you know Steve Carell, and he's this photographer who, or it's, he's this um, I guess he's this guy who's like survived this brutal attack, and it, it caused a major uh, trauma in his life. So now he films, he t- he takes photos of like a makeshift Belgian village in his backyard, and he has these uh, you know, pretty much dolls that he acts out uh, his. Uh, you know, I don't know his, uh, his. He's him getting over it. It's just kind of like his self-implied or self-imposed yeah. rehabilitation. It's a weird movie. It's yeah. you know, it's <laughs> it's just it's just really hard to describe. And I can see you know, I can see why they made it because it's a fascinating story. It's based on a real guy who does exactly this. But I don't know. I, I don't know if they ever thought you know is this something that people would really want to see? And after watching it. I can see why it didn't do well in the box office because it's really, you know, it does a good job of transitioning between the doll uh, situations and real life, but it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's surreal, but it kind of almost has that implication, but you know, it was an interesting watch, but yeah, I, I, it just didn't really, it didn't really uh, hit home for me. I had the exact opposite feel of that. Uh, we should discuss it someday. <laughs> oh, you, oh, it was did just you really like it? I didn't see it because I thought it looked so stupid. And then I was like, okay. oh, I have nothing to do. I'll put it on while I edit a book. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so impressed with this. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, it's a great effort. It's a great uh, job of filmmaking. But I guess to me, the story just you know uh, wasn't enough to mm-hmm. to justify why they failed. Do we need? Is this a movie we should make? And is this a movie people would want to see? Yeah. Marketability okay. is a tough one, I'm sure. Yeah. How about you, yeah. Attila? You got anything for us? You watching anything cool, reading any books, something like that? Well, I'm very big into cartoons as well as in comic books. And Ooh. I just, last night, I started watching the third season on Netflix of Castlevania. Have you guys heard about that one? Yeah, yeah, of course. Heard about it, haven't watched it. It's pretty good. I saw the first two seasons. It came out about a couple of years ago. And finally, they put up the third season. And it's really good. The animation is beautiful. The characters are well done, so it's very enjoyable. 
And yeah. I'm also reading the Conan the Barbarian, the comic books that okay. Marvel just re-released on a monthly basis. Okay. And my favorite writer, Jason Aaron, he's he's writing them, and I really enjoy it. It's it's uh, it's about nature versus civilization. It's very cool. Yeah, when I was at uh, Telltale, one of the cool uh, projects I had was that I was kind of the the guy who helped out one of the writers who we hired on as a contract, and he's a mm-hmm. writer of Conan comics. So at the time, he was. Oh writing yeah i'm trying to remember his name right now because i'm totally blanking on it but at the time he was writing one of the conan comics so whenever he wasn't at work so he'd like show up like having just finished writing and stuff and show me some of the things he was writing for it uh so it's pretty cool i was like and he had also these are these are all new stories these are not like reprints of the ones from the 70s yeah well oh wow yeah 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 so pretty cool cool (laughs) so attila show us uh tell us who you are who who is this attila guy who is this Attila guy? <laughs> well, I was born in a country that it doesn't exist anymore. It's called Yugoslavia. Oh. And, you know, I was born and in the late 80s, early 90s. And pretty much I grew up in a big, long-lasting war that lasted about 10 years. And this war separated the country. I, I'm sure you guys heard about like Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia. So all these little countries used to be together under one name, Yugoslavia. So that was my growing up. And I got my introduction to film, to the film industry very early on, since my father, he had a very successful VHS business back in time. And we were renting a bunch of movies from Western movies for Western Europe and from the United States. So, you know, as a kid, I remembering I was watching lots of Aliens and Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones, and it really captivated me. And from early on, I always knew um, what I want to pursue. And also watching all this, like all those movies during the time of war, they serve kind of like my salvation, you know, to forget about what's going on and then, you know, just enjoy life and let myself get sucked in into this fictional world. Yeah. And, and you've made yeah. quite a few, or you made uh, at least four films, right? That I, I know about on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Have you made more than yeah. that as well? Or is that probably just a... Well, I made, I made, I made more than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the things that you find on IMDb are the ones that start that premiered in film festivals. So okay. I made uh, two short films and I made one experimental feature. And then I just finished my most recent feature film called Maze of Fate. Awesome. Cool. And do you would yeah. you to describe yourself as a certain kind of filmmaker and like focusing on a type of genre and, and all that stuff? Well, yeah, yeah. When, well, when, when people ask me where did I study filmmaking, I always, I always tell them, uh, life, the life experiences taught me how to how to make feature films. You know, like growing up in a war, or yeah. or I drove I drove Uber, I gave ten thousand Uber rides. So experiences like this are what led to my filmmaking journey and what is making me what 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 is making me a director. You know, okay. So well, very I, unconventional. Actually, I, I did have a question, so I know we to touch on this briefly before we started recording so you did not go to school you know for film school you didn't that was not your intent when you started school no no it wasn't uh i really wanted to when i came to america i came on a full scholarship i used to be a runner you know because running was my ticket to become a filmmaker because that was the only way i can escape war and come to america and always wanted to make movies in america but i always had like this some kind of like stigma about the film schools that if i study film uh 
I'm gonna lose my identity and kind of like I'm gonna start. I'm, I'm gonna be influenced by my teachers, by professors, by other directors, by other movies. So I, I was my personality was always I like to explore and kind of like trail trailblaze my own way into mm -hmm. filmmaking. So I was thinking, you know, what I what can I do to to learn the business perspective, the business the business perspective of filmmaking. So I was like, you know, accounting because. Account is pretty much the heart of every business, regardless of the industry you are in. And then if you're a filmmaker and you have a good accounting or business background, I think it helps a lot with producing, with budgeting, and with things like that, which is also very important. And it also helps me when I sell myself as a director because, um, you know, I can sell myself as a creative person, but also somebody who is well-versed in the business world, you know. So hopefully that gives, like, investors a little bit more ease that I'm not just going to be like spending money left and right, that I understand the the weight of every dollar, kind of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, so what was it uh, that kind of uh, triggered your transformation to filmmaker? Well, I used to work at a big accounting company called Deloitte in Dallas, Ooh, okay. Dallas, Texas. I did auditing for them for a short amount of time. And then after I talked with a very high-level uh, partner slash exec executive, he reminded me, that you know what, like life is very short, and and according to her to his story, it's like I don't want to spend like he did 50, 60 years of his life doing something else just to pay the bills, and then later on uh, start regretting all the missed opportunities. So after that conversation I had with him, I decided you know what, I'm gonna quit Deloitte, I'm gonna just move to LA, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start this new venture of breaking into the film business. That's great. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Uh, so <laughs> when you so so I hope you don't mind, Justin. When you got to LA, you know, what was your plan? Just kind of like to start trying to make connections in the film community, or to like you know, hey, you know, you're, are you looking for someone to help out on a crew? Well, when I came to LA, I wanted to make movies, so okay. I went to you know Starbucks and a bunch of different places where people were hanging out. <laughs> and I was talking with lots of people and everybody, I was surprised, like in this city, everybody's a screenwriter, everybody's a director, everybody's a model or an actor. So I was like, this is really cool. That's going to be really easy to make a movie because it seems like, it seems like everybody's like very ambitious and very enthusiastic to do things. But what I find out is like most of these people I was interacting with, uh, those people just like talking, talking, talking. And when it, time, when, it times, when it comes time for action, nobody shows up on a set. Nobody wants to do anything. So it really surprised me, actually. And I was thinking, you know, I didn't, I don't want to be like one of those people who just like talk and no action. You know, I didn't come to LA. I didn't sacrifice all this thing just like to be just like anybody else. So I was like, you know what? I never made the movie. I don't know how to make movie, but guess what? I'm going to figure out how to make a short movie. Hmm. And I, I remember I put an ad on Craigslist looking for a cinematographer, looking for a sound person, looking for a makeup artist, like different things. This was back in 2011. And this is how I assembled my first short movie that was called Vanishing Blue. And actually, I premiered it in lots of film festivals in all over America. So, and it's funny, like, you know, when you start working these little things, you learn. It's like, before that, I was really scared, like, how to make a movie, how people are going to respond to it. But, like, the more you do it, or, 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 or as long as you just start, things just come together. It's pretty mm -hmm. interesting, you know. So that was my introduction to the filmmaking. Yeah. And, and being from Yugoslavia, uh, you mentioned that that definitely impacts your filmmaking. Have any of your films been about that, or have they just influenced it in more of a roundabout way? 
uh, they influenced it just like more in a rather odd way. Uh, I didn't explore a story yet, just that focuses on me being in Yugoslavia or all the crazy that was going on there. I think yeah. that is something that perhaps I'm gonna I'm gonna experiment with in the future, but not right now. Actually, my most recent movie, Maze of Faith, it's a very Americana film that's dealing with Los Angeles and the issues that Los Angeles has. Yeah. So tell us more about that. I want to he- I want to hear more about this film. Well, you know, like after making several short films, I I said, you know, it's enough. Nobody cares about really short films, or at least I, w- I didn't have much luck with them. You know, that nobody picked me up like Spielberg didn't. Spiel- Spielberg wasn't dazzled by my short film and then gave me like a $10 million to make a movie. So I was like, you know, I'm going to, if I consider myself this creative person, I should be able to figure out a way relying on my willpower and creativity to put together a feature film. So I went to Best Buy, I bought a camera for like 150 bucks uh, and I started recording a film. It took me about a couple of months to finish a feature film and I took it to my friend who was an editor, but he wasn't excited about it, so he didn't want to edit it. And I couldn't pay anybody else, so I learned how to edit in a very primitive editing software. Another two, three months passed by and I was like, I have a finished feature film. And I watch it and I really liked it. I think this is a really good movie. I'm very proud and I feel very confident. However, I kept watching this movie for every single day, every single day for about one week. And a week later, I'm watching this movie I created and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a garbage. This is so bad. Like, I cannot show it to anybody. And then, but that was a good filming, filmmaking experience because here I learned to do everything by myself pretty much. And then what I did with the same $150 camera from Best Buy, I shot another film, another feature film. This time it took me about six to six months to finish it. And it was a much, much better uh, content, much better actors, better locations, better, better sequences or whatnot, you know? And this time around, I'm watching my feature film. I'm thinking, wow, this is a really good movie. And I'm watching it one week. After one week of watching it, I still like it. After two weeks, I still like it. However, however, after watching the movie for one month, I was like, man, this is a garbage. I cannot make this. I cannot show this to anybody because I'm embarrassed. But this is how I learned to put together feature films. And also during this journey, this process, I learned the importance of a team, the importance of having like a very good cinematographer, having a very good editor, having a very good sound designer, a composer. So it really taught me the importance of a team, of a team setting, you know? So when I, so before I engaged to make my, most recent project, I sat down and I spent about a year, the whole year, just to work on the script, just crafting the characters. You know, I was thinking, what kind of resources do I have available for me? What kind of locations, what kind of actors can I use, you know? And so th- that's how I began making Maze of Fate. And then, you know, I don't, ha- I ran out of money, so I don't have money. So to pay the bills and to maintain my flexibility and kind of like a, a creative freedom, I started driving Uber to pay my, to pay the bills. And then Uber was very helpful in a way that like driving Uber, I was exposed to a whole new Los Angeles, you know, like it was, it was surreal for me to drive by Beverly Hills. And then 15 minutes later, I end up in a neighborhood that looks like a third world country. And this kind of contrast between West LA and East LA, this was very fascinating to me. And I wanted to create a story that captures this part of LA, you know, an LA that is not very often exposed on the big screen. And... The other, the other motivational factor behind Maze of Fate was, like personally, I'm always attracted to concepts that I don't fully understand, you know? Uh, like the concept of destiny, the concept of coincidence. So I wanted to create a story 
that questions like what does what does it mean destiny what does it mean a coincidence like why is that some people succeed and others don't what does it depend on does it depend on luck is it written in the stars you know or everything in life it just like comes down to coincidence so this was the genesis of maze of fate like this concept the concept of the contrast between los angeles between east la and west la and then the concept of destiny versus coincidence nice and uh, mm-hmm. I noticed in the trailer, the teaser for it, the uh, uh, great use of imagery and, and our common contact, uh, Joel, who is on the current previous uh, previous episode of this show, uh, mm-hmm. mentioned that he felt it was very much like uh, in the film of like David, in the zone of David Ayer, Dayer, David Ayer, how do you say his name? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, David Ayer. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and that you've, you've really captured this uh essence so i wanted to ask who your main inspirations are as a as a filmmaker oh well you know my inspiration changes uh, throughout throughout my journey you know the older i get the different movies i like Mm -hmm. and the movies that i didn't understand once and i understand them better but one of my main inspiration is uh, have you heard about the movie called amores peros it's Mm -hmm. inarito's first movie inarito is the guy who directed birdman and revenant okay so Paul. Paul, Paul's more of a, a movie oh, guy sorry. than me. He's more knowledgeable. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I, sorry, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the, the sound cut out for a second. What was? Can you oh. repeat the question? Oh, Amores Peros. Uh, oh, I've I've heard of it. Um, oh God, that's not Quaron, is it? No, no, it's Inarito. It's his friend's okay. movie. Uh, Inarito, yeah. Okay. It was nominated I, I, for Oscar. Back in time, back in 2001 when it came out. Yeah. So that, then I really liked The Crash, Crash, 10 yeah. years ago. Okay, okay. Run Lola Run, a German indie film. Oh, I, lo- I love that one. So it's kind of like that. Okay, got you it, know. got it. And then, well, that last one for me, I'll see if Paul has some more. Uh, or not last, but necessarily, you know. Uh, so he also mentioned that you had some great actors in this film. Um, and so I wanted to just, you know, as a as a aspiring filmmaker and for people who are listening who want to make films but aren't really sure how to get some of these great you know, cast members, uh, how did you go about, you know, approaching the different people to be in your film, uh, including, you know, cinematographer and uh, casting and all that? Well, to get, I have some big actors, I mean, pretty uh, solid actors in my movie, like Richard Cabral, who is an Emmy-nominated actor for his portrayal in American Crime. I have Robert Lozardo, I have Corina Calderon from Suicide Squad and Cesar Garcia from Breaking Bad and, and Fast and the Furious. That's great. And the way I got them is like, you know, since, I'm, since I really wanted to film in a dangerous neighborhoods, such as the South Central or the Watts neighborhood, I really drove down to those neighborhoods and I re- literally knocked on the door to these people. And mm-hmm. people came out, they saw me, they don't see, you know, they saw me and they didn't even understand my English because of my accent, but like, you know, like growing up in a war, like situations like this, I feel very, I feel very comfortable. And uh-huh. and they responded to the energy, they responded to, to what I was talking, and they decided to give me a chance and to come out on the set. And when they come out on the set, they further like the energy even more. They like what they were seeing. And they asked me, hey, Attila, I have a friend, he's a big actor, can I refer, can, can I bring him to the set tomorrow? I was like, sure, what's his name? And they said, it's Richard Cabral. Well, I never heard about this guy, Richard Cabral, but I Google him and I see like, hey, he's a pretty big guy with big agents, with big lawyers, with big, big movie credits. And I was like, sure, bring him out. And then then he comes out, then he likes the energy. Then he asked me, can I bring um, my friend who was in a suicide squad at the time? You know, I was like, sure, what's her name? She said, he says, it's Corina Calderon. I was like, please bring her. So it's like referral, 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 you know? I awesome. feel like if I went the agency route, like calling the agencies, 
they wouldn't talk with me, you know, because yeah. no money, no credibility, nothing. But I was lucky enough to get those actors like this, this, this kind of way. Yeah, word of mouth. And now people are talking up the film. So, hey, it's it's all up, uh, uphill or downhill. Which one's the good one? I always forget. <laughs> it's one of those. It's the good one from here. <laughs> so it's all about moving forward. Uh, so, actually, I, I did have a question. So, you know, once you got uh, the actors, you know, what was it about the script? I'm assuming, like, you said, yeah, I'm doing this movie. And they said, sure, send me the script. And they read it. You know, what was their overall reaction? Like, someone say, I like, you know, I like the storytelling. I like the characters. I love the, and it, you know, I like the message this is trying to convey. Was it? Was there anything well, in particular? Was there anything in particular that you know really stood out for people? Not really, because I didn't have. I never give them a script, you know, uh, because the movie. What is unique about Maze of Fate? It has like it's three movies within one movie, so it's like the movie has three different outcomes depending on the decisions the character chose within the movie, you know. So I didn't mm -hmm. want the people to know the whole movie, so I just gave the portion of the script, right. but they just came out and they saw like the equipment and the limited resources that we have available, but despite despite of those limited resources, they saw the fighting spirit that they wanna create something something really big. And then one of the things that, that really helped me is like after each after each filming, I showed them the dailies. Okay. And I was able to cut together a little sequence, like very rough sequences on set, and I was able to show them that way. And that's what they really liked. And it was like, wow, I wanna see more. Let's do it again tomorrow. Let's do it better tomorrow. So that kind of helped me a lot. Okay, so you would you would also mention that uh, some of your shorts you you would uh, put into film festivals. So what yeah. was your uh, so what's your plan? Because I'm I'm just looking at your list here. You know, City Full of Angels and Maze of Fate. Well, Maze of Fate hasn't been released yet. So are you going? Are you planning to enter those in festivals as well? Are you trying to just like get them onto some kind of distribution? Well, with Maze of Fate, uh, even when I had the first draft. I got like, I think I got like five or six distribution offers. Mm. Uh, the biggest one was from the company called Indican. Indican is a partnership with Lionsgate. They really liked the movie actually. The guy, the guy who watched it, his name was Tony. And he, he really compared it to Amor Esperos, which I was really surprised and very uh, grateful for because that was my inspiration, you know? Mm. But right now I just screened the movie at Sony Studios uh, last month. And it was really shocking to me because like a bunch of strangers came to the Sony to watch the film. And after this, after the movie finished, I got like a three minute ovation. And wow. that was super emotional because it never happened to me like that, you know? And thanks to Sony Studios, I got several people, like big people endorsing the film and write a very nice written statements and recommendations letters. So th that was very, that was very pleasant. And, and this Sony screening was last month. So my goal right now going forward, as soon as this coronavirus cle clears up a little bit, is mm -hmm. I wanna submit them to all the all the major film festivals. And before I reach before I reconnect myself with distributors. Because I feel like once it gets like a very a solid film festival run, the value of the project uh, money-wise goes up, you know? Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Uh, just, just had oh, so okay. So it really sounds like a lot of this, you know, you know, you didn't go to film school. You, it's all, you, you know, you taught yourself how to do this. So you know, is that a path that you would really recommend for you know aspiring filmmakers or even you know there are writers who think you know I you know I could take my short and I could film it myself. You know, is that is that a path you recommend or you know like maybe a couple of you know key tips that they should keep in mind? 
No, that's definitely not better recommend because I think the most important thing that helped me to make this film Maze of Fate happen is throughout my journey of keep experimenting with short films, I kept finding my voice as well as kept learning about who I am as a person, you know? And I feel like the more you the more you learn who you are as a person, the more clearer you're able to express yourself. And when you express yourself at a certain level, people, even strangers, they respond to that energy and they want to become part of your endeavor. And that's what happened to me, you know? So all these like aspiring filmmakers, the best thing to do is like go out and, you know, just like do anything you can. You know, thankfully we have like these iPhones or these smartphones for like a very good cameras that you can do magic with. Or like I did, I did it with a $150 camera, you know? It's right. not about the quality, it's about what you create. You know, like people often ask questions, oh, what kind of camera did you film your movie? You know, what kind of this and that? What did you edit with? It's not, that's not important. The important is what's, in the, what's on the screen and how do people respond to the screen? And, and it's going back to how well you can express yourself because the more you can exp- express yourself, the, the higher level of emotions you can bring out from your actors, from the people on set. Therefore, mm-hmm. that's going to resonate on the screen, you know? That's Does great. it make sense? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. So another question is, uh, so, um, well, you know, originally I asked you, but, you know, do the writers or did the actors really, you know, did they really take to the script? So, you know, what is your writing process? Do you, like, do you generate a whole draft and then take it from there? Do you, like, okay, I want to fine-tune this, I want to tweak it until I think it's ready to go into production or pre-production? Well, I generate the first, I have a draft, then I rewrite it two or three times. And I don't believe in having a finished screenplay because I learned with Maze of Fate that during the production, like so many things happen that are beyond our control that Mm -hmm. we have to keep adjusting and adjusting and adjusting the script, you know? And this is something that's normal and that's something that happens in uh, big blockbuster movies as well, you know? Like Fast and the Furious, they kept adjusting the movie forever and they have like Mm -hmm. $50 million budget, for example. So I don't believe in finished screenplay. I, I, I believe in adapting the screenplay to a better fit to better fit your resources, as far as the story that you want to want, want to tell, you know? And, but what helped me when I went initially, when I met with, with some of these people, I had a little synopsis, like a short summary of the movie, like a page long summary. Right. And this wasn't in a script format. It was just like a little pitching material that, you know, here's a 3D out loud for everybody. And let's see what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Is, are, can you uh, just, uh, are you, willing to like give any examples of like you know something that was in the script originally but as you were in production that something drastically changed to like really you know did a complete you know turn of direction yeah well you know i shot in the most dangerous neighborhood one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in america and i really became friends with gang members and ex-gang members turned actors you know so i filmed Uh with those people so one of my characters i had in the script actually in real life he was murdered. He got killed during production. Oh God! And obviously, I can't use him anymore. So yeah. I had to. I had to adjust the script in a way to not interrupt, not interrupt the story, but like keep his character in a way that it makes sense for the second half of the movie. You know. So things like this happened often. You okay. Know? Well, I would I would ask what what it was, but I guess your answer would probably say, "Go see the movie, and you'll find out." Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the movie, they gave him a very nice law. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in loving memory credit, you know, he was a great guy. Like he went above mm-hmm. and beyond to make this production easy and his acting and everything was so naturally just like the environment that, that, you know, that, that, that he lived, he lived there. It was very merciless. 
Wow. So that's am- that's amazing. That's great. Things like that happened, and you know, I took lots of risks going into those neighborhoods with my crew because I didn't mm-hmm. have an insurance or anything. Like, and sometimes I had a crew of fifteen to twenty people, and they had to find parkings to park in those neighborhoods. And sometimes we shot for like eighteen hours without stopping, meaning we went from like eight in the morning to like five in the morning the next day. <sighs> you know. And wow. so I was very scared. Every time I heard a gunshot or like any kind of sound, man, my, my heart pretty much skipped, skipped a bit. And I, the, the people that lived in that house we filmed, they, guys, you have to come inside right now because it's not safe to be outside. So we have to hold the production. We have to put all the equipment in the house and just stay in the house for about 30 minutes until the thing clears, you know? So lots of things like that. And thinking back about those days, man, it's like, it's crazy that I, I had balls to do that, you know? Because imagine <laughs> if something goes sour, I mean, who would take the blame? Pretty much I told all these people to go down there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. That gives me goosebumps right now to think about those things. Oh, man, it's giving me goosebumps just to hear about it. Yeah. That, is some, that is some scary stuff. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, what's next? I mean, it, it says you're still on post-production for Maze of Fate, but you know, have you already got your next uh, project uh, underway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm working on currently on two projects. One project is I'm turning the concept of Maze of Fate into a TV series. Nice. So I'm gonna I'm I'm wrapping to, I'm not wrapping I'm I'm working on a little uh, pilot thing going on, and mm-hmm. I'm also working on my second movie, second feature, that I have the first draft of the screenplay, but it's not good. So I have to I mean it's good, but it's not good <laughs> to what I want to create. So right. I have to revisit it and spend lots of times like you know like reworking, reworking, reworking it, and but in the meantime I'm really really i mean the movie's finished i just didn't update it on imdb that it's finished but in the meantime i'm meeting with like festival programmers and actually one of the lady that was present at sony studio she's the programmer of the tokyo film festival mm. and in a movie i had a very pre- famous japanese animator uh, uh, direct a six minute long animated sequence for maze of faith so actually the maze of faith has a six minute animation in the film and I really want to get into the Tokyo Film Festival and because uh, I think the movie is going to do very well on the Japanese market as well. That's awesome. So that I'm focusing great. on many different things. Yeah, that is, that is some that is some very inspirational uh, stuff for people to take into account. Yeah, I think yeah. it's and a you, cool journey that you've had along the way, and I look look forward to seeing where it goes from here. And um, I guess on closing, do you want to share any like last minute bits of advice for aspiring filmmakers or people who want to write their own stuff and turn it into films? Well, the advice is simple, and it's, it's it's simple that it sounds cheesy as well. And the advice is just do it, you know, just do it. Because mm-hmm. I came to this country without English, without speaking English, and without knowing anybody. And I had over 200 people working to make Maze of Fate happen. So it really uh-huh. comes down to, like, how much you want to do things, you know. And then lots of failures going to happen throughout the way. Lots of punches, you're going to get so many punches. But if you're really passionate about it, you know, you don't feel those punches. You're going to turn those... Uh, you're going to turn these uh, obstacles into, into opportunities and eventually you're going to make something. I mean, this was a journey of nine, ten years to have Maze of Fate. You know, I mean, I made three or four short movies, a couple of feature films before. And at the time, I thought these movies that I was making in the past are really good. But now looking back to it, I was like, it's, it was pretty shitty, you know, but it was also essential to make <laughs> Maze of Fate. So so another another advice is it's really important to to have ego, but it's also important to be to have an open mind. And to be honest with yourself, you know, like if it if it's a garbage, you have to say it's garbage, even if it's your own work, you know. Well, that's some fantastic the, stuff, and that's great advice. You can, cannot be overprotective of your babies. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, 
Okay. That's great. Well, Attila, thank you so much for joining us. This is some fascinating stuff and a great, I, you know, I love the personal journey and, you know, it makes me want to see your stuff that much more. Yeah, oh, I sure. appreciate it. Thank you for saying that. And I much appreciate your time, guys, for, yeah. for this podcast. I'd love pleasure. to have you back on sometime. I'm sure we'll have some cool updates from you in the future. So uh, we'll, we'll be Definitely. sure to chat about you regardless. But uh. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm going to most likely have another screening in either in Warner Brothers or in, in, in some other studios. And as I said, this coronavirus thing is putting me on halt. But mm. I'm glad I connected with you guys because I would I would like to invite you also and to see the film when it's when it is the next next screening to see it on the big screen because it's different when you see it on a big screen in the theater, you know. So sure. I would like you two guys sure. to come. In the, yeah, great. Thank you so much. That sounds great. Uh, so uh, real quick, Attila, is there a, like is there an online presence for people to check you out? Uh, well, I just started working on a YouTube channel. Uh, you can Google Attila Korosi, which is my first name, last name, and find me on YouTube. Or you can just put Maze of Fate. I'm going to upload the new trailer pretty soon. And that's pretty much it. I just opened an Instagram about like a month ago. You can also find me Attila Korosi. And But if you find me on YouTube, everything is up there. You can find my email, my Instagram, and you can connect me. And please connect, please connect with me and shoot me an email. You know, say hi. Who knows, maybe we can collaborate with one of your listeners. You know, you never know what hey. happens. You never it's know. You never know. Yeah. That's why it's, that's why it's called social media. <laughs> as long as you I maintain guess. social distance. Yeah. Well, um, my kids are making noise in the background. I guess hopefully you guys can't hear it, but uh, <laughs> if so, I apologize. You have uh, kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as you know. <laughs> I think he's joking with me. I talk about him all the time. I noticed when I went out yeah, socializing yeah, yeah. the other day. That's all I talked about. And I was like, man, these people must get sick of this. But, you know, that's where my brain is at. So, okay. okay. Tilla, yeah. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. And uh, listeners, if you want to go check out his films, uh, we will probably post some links and look him up. And uh, if not, email us and maybe get in contact with him. He seems like a cool guy. He might respond. Uh, super fans out there. And please go read, leave a review for the show and subscribe if you haven't yet. And thank you so much again. I'm Justin Sloan. You can find me on Amazon or on Twitter at Justin M. Sloan. Uh, my name is Paul Zeidman. You can find me on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. And also, please go check out my screenwriting blog, uh, Maximum Z. That's MaximumZ.blog. This has been the Creative Writing Life Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, go write something. <laughs>